0: So, this is really cool. We're returning to this journey that Jesus is on. We're joining a back into this story of our hero, Jesus. And we see that he is returning to Capernaum from his uh, area tour. Let's say Jesus has done a regional tour, a bit of a rock star. He's touched people's lives. He's freed people of demon possession. He's healed people. He's called his disciples. And he's done kind of what, is what we would consider the establishment of the fact that his ministry has begun. It's really cool. I want to share with you a certain verse, Mark 2, 1, if you have your Bibles. You may not be reading from this translation this morning, but it's kind of a cool one. It's from the King James, and although I don't often read from the King James, this version kind of caught my eye. Let me read it to you. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. That's a little bit of my inflection. I don't think they meant it quite that way when they wrote it in Britain or wherever. Uh, they probably was, oh, yes, my lord, the king, uh, yes, and it was noised that he was in the house. But really, in America, we'd probably say it something like this, and he was noised that he was, hallelujah, in the house. Right? Is that, that's a little bit, men amen, amen. So that's a little bit more like what we might translate it as. I guess that's why we, I guess that's why we said we're not going to be a colony anymore. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's go there. We're, we're picking up where we left. Now, there's probably a buzz in the air. There's probably electricity as Jesus comes back. See, he's gone and he's done all these things. Word has spread. Time has passed. Energy has gathered. The ministry of Jesus is afoot. And people are anxious to meet him and know him. As a matter of fact, he's collected somewhat of a a, a celebrity status. And I can only imagine that as he came into town, people were probably looking over each other's shoulders. You could probably hear things like, do you know who that is? That's that's that man Jesus. He he cast a demon out of so-and-so. Or he healed me. Or he healed a friend or a cousin or a family member. He did this, that, the other thing. He grabbed these guys off the beach and now they're walking with him. Look at these people with him. I mean, I can only assume that there was excitement. Little children's footfalls echoing down a stone archway as they ran home to tell their parents, that man that we've been talking about is here now. He's here. Pretty cool. This is nothing short of celebrity status. I'm going to make a comparison that you might think uh, should throw me in hell for, but it was a little bit if like Justin Bieber came to town. <laughs> uh, before, before you stone me, uh, listen... Here's why I say this. It is a heinous comparison. But Jesus was so a list that it wasn't just fans who were coming to see him. It was critics. The crowd was mixed. A person with less significance might say, hey, guys, you coming to my show? Are you all going to be there? Tip your waiters and waitresses. Who wants to come to my unveiling? Hey, who wants to come to my birthday party? Well... I have a hard enough time getting people to my birthday party who like me, let alone people who hate me. But Jesus' power, the, 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 what had been displayed, caused people to want to see what was going on, even those who didn't agree. See, it's only people with real influence who draw lovers and haters. It's only folks with traction who experience resistance. Let me tell you a little bit about a home in Capernaum since we're talking about how Jesus was in the house or some of your translations will say in the house, in a house. He was in a house. A home in Capernaum, a home in Palestine at this time had an open door. From sunup to sunset, the door was open, signifying that anybody who was in community with the owner or not could come and speak with the owner of the home or, or, or interact with the people there. It's really interesting how when Jesus comes down, he doesn't just hole up in a castle with his disciples. He doesn't just, you know, go hit the the, the book tour, sign a few books, shake hands, kiss babies, and then take everything back home and get comfy. He goes to a home which very likely was located right smack dab against Main Street, and he leaves the door open. As Pastor Terry would say, Jesus was open for business. He was ready for the people who would come. So it was noise that Jesus was in the house. And as the people gather, we find this particular event inspires quite a bit of passion, fervor, and and faith. Could you... Yeah, thank you. The timer. I have no idea. I know how long to time a worship set. I don't know how long to talk. This is longer already than I've ever talked to all of you. This is great. (laughs) Bam, and we're done. Okay, so... Um, So Jesus was sitting in this home. I want you to imagine this. It was probably wall-to-wall with people. The moment he came in and sat down, we can assume, well, first of all, that his disciples were with him, and then the entourage, then the entourage's entourage, and of course, you know, somebody wrote home and said, hey, Jesus is going to be here at this time. So those people were there. It was wall-to-wall with people. They were probably sitting, standing, kneeling, a few of them against the wall. Some were sitting on laps, kind of like first service here at Creekside. And uh, people are inching closer and closer as some latecomers come in the back door. Um, I just want you to imagine present day. What would you do to get into this house? It's crazy to me. I mean, we will drive hours to see our family, right? And totally awesome. I'll get on a plane for a wedding or I'll, 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 I'll drive across country for a funeral. I'll shell out bucks for a rivalry game. I mean, I'll, I don't have one yet, but I go to a high school reunion maybe. Um, but <laughs> anyways, I know, I'm a, I'm a kid. That wasn't, okay, so. But imagine, imagine that this man who can heal anyone comes to town. I mean, what would you do to get into the house? Put yourself in the position of a Jew in Capernaum at this time. You might actually believe that this man has come to liberate you from the Romans. What would you do to get into the house? Tickets are sold out, but you're going to get there. Because it's into this situation that four friends come, carrying a man on a stretcher. And this man was paralyzed. Some of you have probably heard this story before. But these guys, they were men of resource and faith. They wanted to see their friend healed. Now let me tell you about the roof of this house that I've told you about the doorway of. The roof of a house in Capernaum, much like this platform, was probably very flat It was frequently used for quiet and solitude. People would go to their rooftops when they were studying or if they wanted to press in in prayer to God. This rooftop was flat, and the construction was likely like this. It probably had flat beams about three feet apart. The way they filled in these beams would have been they'd take brush and clay, they'd tightly compact it together, and then they'd marl the top over. The roof was literally largely soil. And not rarely would host life, because in seasons of rain and growth, grass would actually grow on these roofs. Pretty cool. It, it's, it's fascinating to me that if you were to uh, ascend to one of these roofs using the outside staircase, which there often was, an outside staircase on the outside of the building, you would find soil. This is perfect for what these men intended to do. The roof would have been built using those beams, like I said, and so there would have been spaces in which one could dig through. It would have been a simple conclusion. Jesus is there. We're going. We can't get in the door. We're going through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) Made Tom Cruise jealous. Okay. Return to Mark. Let's look at 2, 4 through 10. So being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him when they had dug an opening. They let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's stop there. So, first, these men had audacious faith. Can you imagine? You do not own the home, you may not even know the owner. But you are digging through his roof in an effort, not only to meet this man named Jesus, but to introduce him to someone that you hope, you know maybe, can heal from the oppression of uh, paralysis. I I just, I want to imagine this. These men believed so that they would carry a man, a fully grown man, step by step up a staircase, probably all on one corner, each on one corner of the pallet. Their arms were tense, their legs, their calves as they went up. Their necks were probably locked, their shoulders braced. This is an all out, no guts, no glory move. They are betting it all on what could very well be a new beginning for this man. And you know what's amazing to me? I love how God does these wonderful works that he stacks metaphor on metaphor. What does it look like when you dig a hole and then lower a person into it? It's a little bit like a funeral, isn't it? But in fact, this is a rebirth. It's almost like Christ is prefacing the resurrection. It's almost like he's prefacing the fact that we are all born again, dead to sin and alive in Christ. Blows my mind. I love it when God does that. It's awesome. So these men, uh, and this is a little term I like to say, these men had faith. Their faith had mustard on it. Their faith had a little mustard on it. You know what I'm saying? It was Dijon mustard. It wasn't just plain yellow. It had some spice to it. I love this. I love this. And the heart it must have required. You see, this man was, he was probably lying on his back, looking up at them. His eyes were probably joyful. They were probably fearful. They were probably Hopeful. Can you imagine the eyes of a friend as you are lowering them down into what is most likely the greatest event of their life? And Jesus looks at him in those eyes and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is not a cop out. In America, when we think miracles, we're visual, we want the bang. We want visible, visual miracles, lights, camera, action. We want it all. We want people in wheelchairs to stand. We want the blind to see. We want it all. But in this time period, to tell someone that their sins were forgiven, that was it all. Let me break it down for you. In this era, to be forgiven of your sins was everything. They believed that if your body was broken, if you were diseased, paralyzed, or had any malforms in in yourself, if, if you were messed up, basically, they believed that God was levying punishment against you because they had learned through their time in the desert that God would let them experience discomfort when they abandoned their morality. And so they translated this to their everyday lives. To be an invalid was to be cursed by God. They did not understand that Jesus was here to wear our infirmities, carry our transgressions, and free us. They only condemned those who were already condemned. They just, it didn't make sense to them any other way. What's important to understand about this man is he probably agreed. He was raised in a society where it was all his fault. We don't know how long he was paralyzed for. It's possible that from childhood on, it's possible that he was in an accident, it's possible that a number of things happened, but it is almost for certain that he believed it was his fault. I want to tell you this morning that if you, have, if, if you are a new Christian, maybe not even a Christian, you might be an atheist and you're just checking it out. Can I just very, very clearly and concisely tell you that, that the Jesus we're talking about this morning does not agree? That he loves you. And that he is not angry with you. And there is probably very little you could do that would earn you such a horrible punishment. So if you are under the bondage this morning that would say that every bad and horrible tragedy in your your life is your fault, let me free you from that because that isn't true. Amen? Amen. Okay. He probably lived in the crushing grip of shame and self-loathing. Thinking he was... The cause of his own turmoil. I knew a counselor once, and I've been to a counselor, which you probably are surprised to hear because you think I'm perfect. Um, <laughs> I heard a counselor once say that over the thousands of patients they'd had all of their career, they could cure every single one of them if they only believed one thing: if they believed that they were forgiven. More important than the broken body is the broken mind, the broken heart, the broken spirit, and the shattered soul. False teaching would tell you that somehow your actions earn you this healing. Jesus counters this really easily. I've actually had people in my life tell me, Look, brother, you're not getting healed because there's a stronghold of sin. Can I tell you where that logic leads? That logic leads somehow that sin is more powerful than God. That sin could bind God's hands, shut his mouth. That is false. There is nothing, yeah, go ahead, clap. There is nothing more powerful than your God, than our God. There is nothing more powerful. Our appeals for healing, our calls from the dark, God reaches into the darkness and he says, I'm not angry with you, it is all right. He's a loving God. So when Jesus forgives this man's sins, we find that that has a lot of implications, not just to the man, but to those around. You see, some scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. This is Mark 2, 4 through 10. Some scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus aware in his spirit. There's that word immediately. PT talked about that one, right? Mark loves this word, immediately action word. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. Immediately, he got up and immediately he picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. We've got a lot to look at here, because this is Jesus' interaction with the scribes. I don't want to teach simply from the perspective of what it meant to this man. I want to tell you what Christ was saying when he said, your sins are forgiven, because this is a public declaration that he is God. Let me tell you what a scribe is. We all know, right, that that there were people who were in opposition to Jesus. You know, Pharisees, Sadducees. Scribes were similar. They were part of the same group. Scribes had very strong knowledge of the law. They could draft legal documents, including marriage, divorce, loans, inheritance, mortgages, the sale of the land, and the like. And every village had a scribe. They weren't priests, but they were learned men of the Torah, which is the Old Testament, which is the law. What it's important to understand about the Jews is though they were subject to the Romans, in their minds, there was no separation of God and government. God gave them their government. God gave them their laws. All one package. And the group of people who were dedicated to protecting those laws were the scribes and the Pharisees. Knowing what they knew about Scripture, when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven, it meant he was forgiving sin, which was, according to the law, capable of only God. God only God could forgive your sins. And a matter of fact, the rabbis of the time had a saying. They would say to people, well, you can't experience healing until you've been fully forgiven of your sins. You cannot be healed. So Jesus basically goes, I forgive you of your sins. So this is what they're doing. Wait a second. So he's forgiving, but only God can. Blasphemer, this is wrong, this is terrible. And they jumped immediately to a denial of who Jesus was. It doesn't matter that they had heard the truth, it doesn't matter that maybe some of them had even witnessed miracles. They simply deny, cast it out, and in their minds, do you know what they were doing? They were assigning the death penalty to Jesus. At that moment, when he said that, they reasoned it out, and by their laws, they thought, oh, well, this guy's going to get stoned, and we're going to make sure it happens. We kind of forget. That it it wasn't just overnight that Jesus was taken in. Like I said, he had critics and they were watching, looking for a reason. And here was their first strong bit of evidence. Because in their presence, he declares himself God, essentially. For those who knew what that meant, they probably kind of gasped. And they began to sift in their hearts. So Jesus asked them point blank. It's funny, he doesn't wait for them to say anything. Because they probably aren't. He asked some point blank, why are you reasoning this in your heart? What is easier to say, although in our eyes, you guys, it's easier for a person to forgive sins. In their day, to forgive someone's sins was, again, to claim to be God, and for a human to claim that was blasphemous. So here's the wildest thing. Anyone could say your sins are forgiven. Anyone could turn to another person and say, oh, yeah, your sins are forgiven. I mean, theoretically. They'd stone them, but they could do it. And there was no proof that they had or hadn't been forgiven. And that is always why scribes felt comfortable, I'm sure, to say, oh yeah, well, he's blaspheming and we're just going to make sure he dies. There's no conclusive way to prove a person wrong. But Jesus, knowing that, decides to declare it by leading them into the conclusion that he's claiming the authority of God. Knowing this, he addresses their doubts and follows up his forgiveness with a healing. I don't know if any of you watch Law and Order. But this is that moment where they're like, well, prosecution, if blah, 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 And all of a sudden, someone stands up and goes, but he didn't. Associate producer, so-and-so wolf, whatever. Basically, basically, this is everybody, we all kind of just see Jesus as this miracle man, and he is. But he's also God, which means the human intellect is about this big to him. And when they're sitting there being lawyers of the Lord, he turns their own logic against them. Because for it to be proven true, a healing would have to have occurred. And what does he do? Pick up your mat and walk. The first thing that we need to know about this for our lives is that Jesus touches us in order of importance. The heart first, the body second. He is so loving in that he clears our conscience before he sets us free. It's amazing to me. I want to loop back and say something about doubts. If you're here this morning, doubts are awesome. I, I think my strongest moments as a Christ follower came from when I said, Lord, I doubt this. Give me greater faith or help me figure it out, or help me figure it out just enough so that I can have faith in this hand and knowledge in that hand, and let me put them together, and let me just follow you, Lord. The sacredness of asking God questions is part of the cornerstones of relationship with God. We can't just assume that, oh well, I don't really think about that because I can't answer it. If we leave unanswered questions, unturned over and unexplored, we don't give God the opportunity to teach us. And what does a father love to do with his children? He loves to teach them. If you're here this morning, you disagree with anything I have to say, good. Ask questions about it. Reflect on it in the scriptures. Find what is true in it, which I hope is a lot. I want to just tell you that honest doubts deserve conclusions. Honest doubts deserve conclusions. But when doubts become a denial of the truth, in other words, when a doubt denies the fact that God is real, it's just dangerous. It's just a danger to you, to yourself. Like that counselor said, someone might know, oh yeah, God forgives me. But if they don't believe it, it's dangerous. That doubt is just dangerous. It will cripple a life. So like I said, Jesus touches us in order of importance. First he forgives and then he heals and, and I'm going to be real with you. Sometimes healing reaches us in our final destination. Sometimes we, we aren't healed until we see him face to face. And that is a, a struggling part of reality. But in, 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 other, in other ways, he does heal our lives. Some of you kind of know my story. I'm born of a long line of addicts and abusers. As a matter of fact, my mind is host to kind of a nightmare of, of chemical and generational craziness. Um confirmed. (laughs) But the truth is that God's brought me safe thus far with his grace. Because if I knew that his grace was always extending to tomorrow morning, then I can step by step follow him. The other thing that I loved about God's word and what he's put in my heart is that I could look in the mirror and I I could simply say in faith, okay, if I believe God's working with me, I'm going to act as if he's already healed me and as if the desire to sin doesn't exist anymore. Because Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The key to what I'm saying right now is faith is the first step for us as a people. If I didn't have the faith to look in the mirror and say, I don't feel healed right now of whatever's going on in my mind, whatever it may be, whatever that counselor or that psychologist said, I don't feel healed. But in faith, I'm going to walk out as if I am, and I'm going to conduct myself in a way that says, God's healed me, and I'm just simply going to act that way. A lot of times, church, we don't act, we don't feel our way into acting. Does that make sense to you? A lot of times, we simply don't feel like going to work. What do we do, though? We get up and we go to work, and pretty soon our feelings catch up. We cannot act, we cannot feel our way into acting, but we can act our way into feeling what is true. Sometimes our hearts sort of follow slowly. But it's in this faith that we're able to walk in forgiveness of ourselves. Forgiveness through Jesus. This morning, I just want to invite you guys into the house where Jesus is. Come in from the street. Through the roof if you have to. God loves you and he forgives you. And to quote the king himself... It is finished. He has done it. The work is done. Come and receive. Be an heir of the kingdom, a son or daughter. I just love it. I love it. It is finished. But for those of us, Creeksiders, who have experienced this radical life change, for those of us who have met with this world changing Jesus, the time is now for us to help Jesus touch other people's lives. People need to belong before they believe. Their belief and faith helps them behave. So this morning, I just want to ask you, who are you carrying to Jesus? Who are you carrying step by step up the stairs, through the roof? You see, uh, as Christians, we believe that we're sinners, saved by grace, which means that we were sick, have the cure. If we believe that the world is sick, we got to be rolling out the gurneys, people. And then rolling them Back to wherever, here or somewhere else. I'm not trying to get people in the house. I'm just saying, if you got the cure and you believe it, share it. Because you are either a missionary or you're part of the mission field. That's kind of one of the things that I've realized, I think, just being a follower of Jesus is that there are seasons where you're one or the other, but you're never really in the middle. You're either a missionary or part of the mission field. So let's take a page out of Jesus' book for the, for the community of Martinez, for our families, for our kids, our spouses, our friends. Let's touch people's hearts and then change their direction. Let's feed their stomachs and then engage their minds. Let's practically love people. Set them free. Set them free. Creekside, you guys do a great job of outgoing in ministry. Since I have come here, and I'm going I'm I'm to probably scare you a little bit, As a pastor, you can actually get a little jaded seeing a lot of different churches that kind of just sit, that kind of just wait. We don't wait here. We do an excellent job of gathering, then we grow through the word and worship, and then we go. And I love that. You guys are inspiring. I just want to fan the flame this morning. Whether this morning you needed to hear your sins are forgiven, or whether you needed to hear... Let's go. Let's take the mission out there. Let's hit the mission field. This life changer Jesus, he is, he is asking for responses.